So let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for that great love that you demonstrated for us in sending your son, Jesus. Thank you for the salvation that was purchased, the forgiveness of sin, the way through to meet with you face to face because of our advocate, your son, our savior, Jesus. Help us to not take for granted so great a salvation. Help us to grow in our appreciation, reverence, awe, love for you and what you've done for us. Help us to continue to grow in walking by faith. In Jesus' precious name, amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, church, and uh, greetings to those who are visiting us online. We're going to go into our sermon, and we'll handle our prayer time at the end of that. And uh, so if you want to open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4, Before we look into the Word, let's have a, some word of prayer together. Father, we just thank You for Your grace and Your goodness. Thank You for Your Word. Pray that You'd open our, the eyes of our heart, our ears of understanding, so that we can see and hear what You have for us through Your Word. Speak to each of us as only You can, as Your children as your subjects, as your sons and daughters, and open our hearts to the precious promises in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been traveling through First Peter for quite some time, and last week we finished up the section at the end of chapter 4, and now we're going to go back because we didn't do the beginning of chapter 4. And so if you would uh, follow along as I read. First Peter chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it's strange that you do not plunge in with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. 
Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administrating God's grace in his various forms. If anyone speaks, he should speak as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. It was good for me to be reminded this week that Peter, our author of this letter, as he writes about suffering, he himself knows suffering and knew suffering. He saw Jesus suffer. And so I wanted to um, read a passage out of Matthew chapter 16 just to remind us. It says this in Matthew 16, 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hand of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now, you got to imagine, this is Jesus, the, the King of kings, Lord of lords, and he's telling his disciples this is what's going to take place. Look what happens next, verse 22. It says, Peter, the same Peter that wrote this letter we're reading, took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Doesn't mean Peter was Satan. He means that Peter was being led astray by Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And so the big picture as we read through Peter, he's writing to these people who are being scattered abroad. And he, in his mind, he understands suffering is not foreign even to God. And he saw Jesus um, brutalized on the cross. He heard Jesus predict the cross and say that he would be suffering. And so as Peter writes to us about suffering, it shouldn't be a surprise to us. And he in fact says that. Do not be surprised at the things you suffer. So these verses in chapter 4, verse 1 through 6, the first couple verses are very interesting. And as I studied through, there was different interpretations, and they all agreed, the theologians and the pastors that I looked at, they all agreed, these are some pretty tough verses to figure out exactly what's being said there. And so we're going we're gonna to take a stab at it. And we're going we're gonna to look at some of the things that are being said and compare with some of the other verses there in Scripture. And so therefore, verse 1 of chapter 4, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for even evil human desires, but rather for the will of God, for you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. The big picture, if you step back, you have to ask yourself the question, what does Jesus' suffering have to do with me ceasing to sin? What does Jesus' suffering have to do with you and I ceasing to sin? 
and to arm ourselves with the same attitude that he had towards offering and to understand that as he died, we died. As we put our faith in him, as we trust him and abide in him and join our lives to him and obey him and submit to him and love him and serve him and worship him, his death touches our life. And the Bible teaches this idea of being co-crucified with Christ, that my life is given to him, and as I give my life to him in faith, he gives me his life, and he lives his life in me, as Paul said in Galatians. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And so this idea, he's saying that we should arm ourselves. Since Christ suffered in his body, we're to arm ourselves with the same attitude. The same attitude and understanding of the big picture of sin. That Jesus was able in the garden to entrust himself to God. He said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. So arm yourself because there's a war going on. And this idea of suffering, as we saw in chapter 1, it comes in many and various forms. And just think about it as tension, pressure, stress. It could be persecution from non-believers against a believer, but it's not limited to that. It includes all kinds of suffering. Um, having our car stolen. It includes everything that you could imagine. Um, the suffering and the pressure, because everything causes us to react in a certain way, either with faith or without faith. And so when he's saying arm yourself, the idea here is to make yourself ready. Prepare yourself. It's a military term spoken of even as a Greek soldier who is dressed and ready, fully fitted. And so you think about as we're preparing, none of us knows what we'll face in the future. But if you're, the idea that you're accepting and understanding from Scripture, you're to be fully armed. You're to be fully prepared. You're to take advantage of each situation and prepare yourself for what's coming. So to arm is to make ready to prepare with a focus on the process of becoming equipped. So each situation you go through, that's like when you're in fourth grade, they don't give you a 12th grade exam. You get the fourth grade exam, which qualifies you then to go on to fifth grade. Fifth grade, you get the fifth grade exam, and so on. And so in our journey in life, there's going to be pressures for each situation. And yes, indeed, we can find people in situations like our dear Faith, who's been suffering. Uh, and it's, it seems like it's far exceeding. It's not just a little stress from... Um, uh, taking a fourth grade test. She's been dealing with chronic pain and all kinds of stuff for such a long time. So there's definitely suffering at different levels. But this verb here where Peter says, arm yourselves with the same attitude, it's like putting on the armor of God in Ephesians 6. And it talks about in 2 Corinthians 10 that we, the weapons of our warfare are mighty for pulling down strongholds that we should arm ourselves in the sense, what do we have at our disposal? We have each other, Christian brothers and sisters. We have the word of God. We have prayer. We have 
that fellowship. And then we have our own personal time of worship. We have corporate worship. And, so, and then each time we go through something, we should be learning. I was reminded, just Gary, I see you there. And I'm reminded visiting with your dad. And he would say one of the faults, uh, I can't remember if it was a faults fact or a faults principle. If you um, cut yourself with a knife or you hit yourself with a hammer, the question was, well, what did you learn from that? And so if there's a situation that you can be in where you're going through a difficult time, the attitude is to say, what can you learn from this? And how did Jesus respond when he was in difficult situations? So therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, referring specifically to his cross, and also just his love for people, his love for people caused him a great deal of suffering, not just the physical suffering on the cross, but the emotional suffering, being, having uh, um, Judas deny him, having his friends betray him, having the Pharisees misunderstand him, all the suffering that he suffered. But if you look in chapter 3, verse 18, it says this, For Christ died for sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. So Peter's picking up the same idea here. Therefore, since Christ suffered in verse 1 of chapter 4, same idea that he ended chapter 3 with, that Christ suffered and died, that we're to arm ourselves with the same kind of attitude because just like Christ, we will have sufferings. Somebody, I, I don't know who it said, but it wasn't me. There, it was a famous statement that said that God has only one son without sin, but no sons without suffering. And the idea that it will take place in our life to some degree or another, and we talked about that a couple weeks ago, the, the general idea about the fall, that uh, this, we're living in a fallen world. We are fallen creatures, and we have been redeemed by the grace and the love of God. But we are sinners. Who's, we are saints who sometimes still struggle with sin, and suffering is going to be a part of this life down here. And we're to arm ourselves. Interesting, this... Uh, this word attitude is the word mind, the word purpose. In Philippians chapter 2, the famous passage where it talks about Jesus, um, what he did for us by becoming man. In Philippians chapter 2, it says this, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ. So this is Paul's writing, but Peter said, arm yourself with the same attitude. Well, what was the attitude? What kind of attitude did he have? Well, Here's what it says. Jesus, being in the very, very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So the attitude there is the willingness to take God's will, God's purpose, God's plan, not his own way. So there's a willingness. There's a, a submissiveness and a cooperation with God's will. That's Jesus' attitude towards suffering. 
And it was interesting in one of the books I was reading this week, I've been trying to read as many books as I can on suffering. And this is by Elizabeth Elliot. And um, she was a famous, her husband was a missionary, one that was killed in South America, one of the five missionaries by the Aka Indians. And this is called A Path Through Suffering. So this arming of ourselves towards suffering and the attitude of suffering It comes in a thousand little yeses to Jesus through the ups and downs of the days and the weeks and the months and the years of our life. You might be thinking, well, someday when I suffer persecution for Jesus, then I'll have that attitude. No, I wouldn't guarantee that. I would guarantee that you might have that attitude if you're practicing through a thousand little yeses every day. When, then you, when you have an opportunity to bow your will to the will of the Lord in serving and loving other people. Listen to what she says. So my decision to receive him, although made only once, I must affirm in a thousands of ways, through thousands of choices for the rest of my life, my will or his, my life, the old one, or his, the new one. It is no to myself and yes to him. This continual affirmation is usually made in small things, inconveniences, unselfish giving up preferences, yielding gracefully to the wishes of others without playing the martyr, learning to close doors quietly and turn the volume down on the music we love to play loudly. Suffering, they may be, but only small-sized ones. We may think of them as little deaths. And Paul said, I die daily. John the Baptist said, he must become greater, I must become less. So this idea of suffering, arm yourself with the same attitude, is to know that when it comes, there's a way to respond to it. And if we respond to it with our faith in God, that suffering will bring a proving It will bring a refining. It will bring a galvanizing, a strengthening to our life that otherwise would not happen. It would just be plain suffering. If my practice is daily to put Christ and others first, when I'm stressed, that will be most likely the response because I've been practicing it. So next time I'm stressed... Next week, tomorrow, next month, when I face whatever stress or suffering that I might face, that you might face, how are you going to react? You're going to react the way that you've been practicing. So the instruction here for us is so practical when he says, arm yourselves with the same attitude. And so it takes a while, even if it only takes a minute. It takes, you, you can't put all the armor of the military soldier on at once, right? So there is a process in place here. So each time you suffer, you have an opportunity to practice how you will respond. If you didn't do so well last time, you have an opportunity to do it over, to practice and to arm yourself with the same attitude that Jesus had. Every time we arm ourselves and we stand against temptation, We become better practiced to stand against temptation, better skilled, better prepared to resist the next time. 
But every time we give in, whether it's to our self-centeredness or we give in to some sin, then the same potential to become um, weaker and weaker and less resistant to sin. So the goal in growing toward Christ-likeness and maturity and our love relationship is so that when temptation does come, we practice standing in Jesus. We practice putting our faith in Him. Standing in resistance to sin will take a willingness and a purposelessness and arm yourselves with the same attitude, not living the rest of her life for human evil desires. See that? How he goes, as a result, he does not live. So, so verse 2 connected with verse 1. If we arm ourselves with this attitude towards suffering, it has a result. And the result is we don't simply live any old way we please according to our evil human desires. It begins to work in us. If we arm ourselves with the attitude of Jesus towards suffering, that begins to work in us and refine us and change our attitude, change our heart, change our desires. And so Henrietta Mir says this, such a high resolve in arming ourselves will involve a measure of suffering for God's will. Every morning when you wake up and when I wake up, there's two wills. There's your will and there's God's will. Occasionally, they line up, right? But if you're anything like me, your human will rises up first, even though God was awake long before you, I was. But she said, it will take such a high resolve, a measure of suffering for God's will to choose it, which is our becoming like Jesus, because it cuts across our desire for self-gratification. Very few in the world escape suffering, either mental, physical, spiritual, relational, and we rarely choose the way we're going to suffer or how suffering will come to us, but we can choose our response. We can take comfort and courage from the fact that we know that God loves us, that God is for us, not against us, and that he chastens those he loves. He's at work in our lives for his glory. He's at work in our lives not for our comfort, but for our conformity to Christ. And so the bigger picture is anything that could come your way exposes your attitude. If your attitude is to honor Christ, if your attitude is to arm yourself with his attitude, when suffering comes your way, it will expose tenderness. It will expose grace. It will expose praise and worship. If it exposes, as it often does in my life, anger, selfishness, pride, um, unwillingness to serve, then I can make an adjustment. I can repent. I can say, God, I need your help in this. We're still working on this. You're still working on me. In 1934, there was a pair of uh, missionaries, John and Betty, and they were preparing for the mission field in China. And what they were doing is they realized they started to enjoy each other's company. And they realized that a, a uh, relationship was developing, but because they didn't know yet where they were going to be stationed in the field, they put their relationship aside 
put Jesus first. And they ended up together in China, in the Inland China Mission. And then they realized, oh, we're in the same place. Now we can put this back, our relationship back in place. And yes, they got married. But uh, they only made it a short time, 27 and 28 years old, before they were both beheaded by the Chinese guerrillas. But they had not before that they had put their relationship and their desire to serve Christ um, before their self. And it's interesting. That seems like an extreme example of a decision that they made to go into a difficult, strenuous, dangerous place. But in the smallest little opportunities, when you meet a stranger, how are you going to greet them? How could you possibly serve them? How could you love them? How could you witness to them? How could you be pointing to Jesus? And I'm telling you, if you're anything like me, and I'm sure you are because you're human, there's going to be that moment of tension in your life. What if I point to Jesus in this situation? Is this an opportunity where I could be ridiculed? I could be mocked? Or I could just misunderstand the situation? And I'm uncomfortable, but I have an opportunity to point to Jesus. That's the, the fact that when we have the attitude of Christ, a willingness to suffer, a willingness to put God's will first, he already promised, we saw in the other passages, the glory and the grace of God is with us in those times. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says this. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So when Peter says, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself with the same attitude because he who suffered in his body is done with sin. He's talking about the fact that done with means over, complete, finished. And you have, and I have an opportunity daily, sometimes moment by moment, depending where the situation and who we're surrounded by, to make decisions that would honor Christ, that it would be rather than self-centered honoring ourselves. Because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. It's interesting in Galatians 5, verse 24. You got that one, Tim? Galatians 5, 24. It says this. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature, its passions and desires. So the sinful nature is the same word, the same idea here that's being communicated in 1 Peter chapter 4, because he who has suffered in his body, the body 
is used in a couple different words in the Greek, but one is the body, the human body. The other is, this, is the flesh, which is our sinful nature. And the, the sinful nature is that which is in us that has been affected by sin. That which is in us and through us seeks to sin. The effect of the fall, warped desires, exchanging the truth for a lie. And so if we are willing to put on Christ, if we are willing to have his attitude towards suffering, and we had realized that this suffering is going to work in us that which is pleasing to God. It has its desired effect, and it brings reconciliation and sanctification into our lives. Jesus, was di- he died, he was buried, and he was raised to life by the power of God to defeat sin and deliver us from not only its penalty, but also its power. And so in Romans chapter 6, it's hard to read 1 Peter 4 without looking at Romans chapter 6 and just seeing the big picture again, what Paul talks about and Peter talks about um, converge in this idea of I have been crucified with Christ as I put my faith in him. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning? So that grace might increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? So Peter's talking directly about the death of Jesus and that the death of Jesus affects us. Paul talks about the same thing in Romans 6 there. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we so choose to live in him, to entrust ourselves to him, to avail ourselves of his power over sin, we will sin less. Sin will have less power and less influence in our lives. We're not to let sin reign and rule over us as the past. So Peter's saying there's going to be a break here. Once we recognize that we're joined to Christ by putting our faith in him and walking with him and trusting him and worshiping him, he's not referring to one a decision here. He's referring to a lifestyle of consistently looking to Jesus in how he suffered and his attitude towards suffering recognizing that in his death is our death, in his life is our life. And so if we choose to live in him and entrust ourselves to him and avail ourselves to his power, then the Christian need not sin. But we are those who find out that we do sin. Sin lives in us, it says in Romans 7, even as we seek to live for him. But as we continue to walk and we develop and continue to give our attitude and our will to him, he works in us that which is pleasing to him. And the death of Jesus on the cross, his resurrection, demonstrate that sin and death have been defeated. He who knew no sin died for us, that sin would no longer be our master. And so this is a constant day-to-day decision is a constant day-to-day relationship that Peter's referring to here. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, we recognize that the cross of Christ, 
is our rescue. His death is our hope. His death to conquer the power of sin. Arm yourselves with the same attitude. Because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. So you could take your suffering and you could do everything you can to avoid it. But it will not have its desired effect in you. You could take that suffering and offer it up as worship to God. And you should take care of yourself. You should take care of yourself spiritually, mentally, effect on a person's life on a regular basis. Certainly, we can be caught up for seasons of disgraceful living, living far less than we could or should. But a conscious, purposeful desire to please Him and love Him and trust Him and obey Him and worship Him, where He's increasing and we're decreasing, where our desire is to delight in Him, delight in Him and for Him and with Him, so that we're making a determined effort to give our will to Him, that might be seen as, then there's a decisive, in a decisive way, sin loses its stranglehold on our lives. So that little phrase where it says, as a result. See that in verse 2? As a result. There's going to be a result. If you arm yourself with Jesus' attitude towards suffering, it's going to cause a result in your life. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for human desires. I want sin defeated in my life. I want selfishness gone in my life. So I recognize, oh, if I arm myself with Jesus' attitude towards suffering, when I have tension, when I'm asked by somebody, hey, can you help me? Can you serve me? And the old nature wants to rise up and say, well, what about me? I, that's infringing on my time and my comfort. I have an opportunity to say, oh, okay, this is an opportunity for me to make a decisive decision that sin has less power in my life. And as a result of arming ourselves with Jesus' attitude towards sin, we'll have his attitude towards sin. It's in your earnest desire to please him. Is it your earnest desire to please him and to trust him? Well, it's a good question. Is it your intended purpose to honor him? If it is so, then sin's chokehold on your heart and your mind will have a life-altering blow delivered to it, to its power over us. That's why he says, as a result, he no longer lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. And then he just says, listen, as candidly as he can, you spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. How did that benefit any of us living with our past life? Living with any of these lists of things, debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, detestable idol idolatry. And he says the people around you in that 
that you no longer walk with, they are, they're going to say, hey, it's, why aren't you still partying with us? Why aren't you still carousing with us? Why aren't you still doing those kind of things? And it says, they might even start to heap abuse on you. Well, you just, you're a sissy. You're one of those Jesus fanatics. I can't believe you let religion have an upper hand in your life. You're not going to have any fun anymore. It says they'll heap abuse on you, but they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. They're going to answer to the Lord, and so are you and I. But if it's your intention and purpose to honor him and have, be armed with his attitude towards sin and his attitude towards suffering, sin will lose its hold more and more on your life. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we may die to sin. Did you see that in chapter 2? Look at chapter 2. It is verse 24. Speaking of Jesus, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. As we put our hope and our trust in Jesus, in his great mercy, in his love and his forgiveness, he gives us new birth into the living hope. Remember, that's where Peter started back in chapter 1. You've been given new birth into the living hope, his life in us, so that the life we live is a life of faith in him. But it's much more than that. It's his life in us. It's his life in us or it's not. Think of the alternative. Either he's living in us or he's not. And if he's not, there's no Christian life. There's no Christian life without Christ. He lives in us through faith in him. There's no Christian life if it's not abiding and sustaining and continuous. He died to sin once for all to bring us to God. So there's this metamorphosis, this transformation, this confirmation, and this conforming to the image of Christ that's happening in our relationship with Him. If in our relationship with Him, we're merely looking for freedom from the penalty of sin, we used to call it fire insurance, we're not experiencing freedom from the day-to-day power of sin. Something fundamental is missing in our faith, in our relationship with Him. For if sin still has the upper hand, we're not right with God. If sin still has the upper hand, we're not right with God. We didn't finish reading very far in Romans chapter 6. Let's go back there. It says this, verse 11, Romans 6.11, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master. For you are not under law, but under grace." We're to count ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. Part of the proof of our personal 
relationship with God through the death and resurrection of Christ and his effect in our lives is a different attitude towards suffering. It's interesting when you read about Job, he's scraping boils off his body or that are on his body as he's sitting in ashes, right? Suffering greatly. And his wife says to him, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. Job replied, you're talking as a crazy woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. C.H. Spurgeon said this to the church family, I beg you to remember that there's no getting quit of sin. There's no escaping from its power except by contact and union with the Lord Jesus Christ. So Peter knows that these people that are being scattered are going to face all kinds of different types of suffering. So when he says, arm yourself with the attitude of Jesus, you and I don't have that. He's not saying arm yourself with your good attitude towards suffering. No, he's saying arm yourself with this attitude that Jesus has towards suffering. He who suffered in his body all the way to death. Since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself with the same attitude. If or as we suffer in any way, we must be resolutely determined that we'll never turn away from God. And so the little times each day when we have an opportunity either to bow to his will or bow to our will is preparing us for some opportunity in the future to give testimony and to praise to him as we make bigger decisions that may come our way that we're preparing ourselves for. So suffering for the Christian deepens our walk. It deepens our faith. It deepens our trust. And it thins out desires for sin. So a commitment to suffering with the attitude of Jesus had towards sin, towards suffering, as a way of life, sin then is no longer the dominating force in that person's life. You, you watch yourself and you visit with other people who are suffering. And you listen to how they respond as they maybe talk about their suffering. And if they've suffered by pick, keeping their eyes fixed on Jesus, you will hear praise and glory and worship coming out more often than you will hear selfishness and sadness and I didn't get my way. So when suffering has its desired result, he's done with sin. You see that? As a result, he's done with sin. He does not live the rest of his life for earthly human desires. So when suffering has its desired result, done like we said earlier, it means to cease, to stop, finished. Do we desire our comfort more than we desire to be done with sin? Do we desire to be free from our suffering more than we desire to be done with sin? Are we willing to suffer in our opposition to sin? A willingness to suffer, to undergo stress or pressure for our faith, 
for the strengthening of our faith. And this includes very simple, practical ways of loving and serving others in Jesus' name. So this week, we're just going to lay this out here as an application. You'll have an opportunity throughout this week, maybe daily, to put others before yourself. And it's going to stress you. It stresses me. To find out if the S is bigger than the C. The S of self is bigger than the C of Christ. Or in my case, which C is bigger, Chris or Christ? And so it would include things that I can't expect yet. But I know in relationships, I sometimes cherry pick where I want to serve and what I want to do. I serve what works for me. And sometimes, sad to say, what looks, makes me look good. But if I put on the attitude, I arm myself with the attitude of being willing to put God's will above my will, whatever comes my way, our willingness to suffer and love others, and serve others, will result in glorifying Him and result in loosening the hold of sin in our life. So as Christians, and even because we're Christians, we should be willing to suffer for doing what is right, not for doing what is wrong. And that's how he carries on in the other parts of the chapter 4. Dear friends, don't be surprised when suffering comes your way. As though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you suffer, that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. His glory is revealed every time somebody re recognizes, wow, you act differently. I heard a testimony yesterday at a wedding. The younger brother was saying to his Oh, the older brother was saying to his sister who was being married, I'm a Christian because of you. Because I watched your life. I watched how you handled things. And she herself went through some grave suffering. And he was able to testify, your life affected my life, the way you suffered, the way you walked through it. So suffering with our hope fixed on God has a way of dulling the desire of sin, has a, a way of bringing glory to his name and refinement to our lives. And so we want to take Peter at his word here and learn from him and make sure that we're arming ourselves not with the me-itis, but with Christ. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the example we have of Jesus, that when they hurled insults at him, when they slapped him, when they spit in his face, when they pulled out his beard, when they accused him and ridiculed him, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body and the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we are healed. So Father, help us to continue to recognize 
what you've done for us by sending your son. And Jesus, what you've done for us by your willingness to follow your father. And Holy Spirit, as we seek for your enablement each day to keep in step with you, to honor you, the Father and the Son, and to point to you on a regular basis throughout our life. In Jesus' precious name, amen.